is Norman Turkey Stern, Detroit's greatest baseball player. Not only is he Detroit's greatest baseball player, he's the world's best <laughs> baseball player. Mark my words on that. <laughs> People oftentimes ask me who are the greatest Negro League players, or if I was picking a team, who would make up my nine greatest Negro League players? And man, that is an almost impossible task. There were so many great baseball players who called the Negro Leagues home, and Picking nine would be like trying to pick out of 3,000 kids. If you had 3,000 kids, who your nine favorite kids would be, it would be an almost monumental task. But whenever I talk about my outfield for that team, there's one player that always comes to mind, and that's the great Norman Turkey Stearns. Now, it may vary from day to day depending on when I'm in the museum and what my mind state is like, who the other two outfielders, Oscar Charleston would certainly be there right alongside Turkey Stearns. And for me, Cool Papa Bell would round out what I think would be one of the greatest outfields, not in Negro League's history, but one of the great outfields in baseball history if the three of them would have all played together. Now, who would cover center field? Because all three were tremendous center fielders. The player that we're discussing today on Black Diamonds, the gobbler, as Buck O'Neill would call him, the legendary Norman Turkey Stearns, is one of the greatest center fielders, one of the greatest hitters that this game has ever seen and yes, he is rightfully enshrined in the National Baseball Hall of Fame, but Turkey should be a household name. As I oftentimes say every Thanksgiving, there was nothing jive about this turkey. Norman Thomas Stearns was born in Nashville, Tennessee on May 8, 1901, a date that was officially unknown until he told the Baseball Hall of Fame himself in 1970. When Norman was in his mid-teens, his father died, forcing him to drop out of school and work odd jobs up until baseball started paying the bills in 1920. That was when the Gobbler joined up with the Nashville Giants and then the Montgomery Gray Sox the year after that. In 1922, he left baseball briefly to finally finish school, but then returned to the game in 1923 to travel north and play in the big time having inked a Negro National League contract with the Detroit Stars, where he would stay for nine seasons before moving on to the Chicago American Giants due to the effects of the Great Depression. And believe it when we say that rookie season in 1923 was iconic to this day. According to baseball reference, he had a 362 batting average, a 401 on-base percentage, and a 710 slugging percentage. He also had 17 home runs, trailing only Candy Jim Taylor and Oscar Heavy Johnson, and had a league-leading 14 triples. At just 23 years old, the legend of Turkey Stearns 
was born. He was legit. Five-tool player and did everything with style and grace. And even though there are so many variations of how he got his nickname, Turkey, pigeon-toed at the plate, and when he ran, his arms flapped like a turkey. And, and even the gobbler himself would say some of that stemmed from the fact that he had a bit of a, a pot belly. But as I tell people all the time, if you saw Turkey play center field, or if you saw Turkey run those bases, this Turkey could flat out fly. Turkey Stearns, folks, is again an anomaly in the minds of so many. Because again, you don't know what you don't know. But check this out. He was a five-time Negro League All-Star. He won the batting title in the Negro Leagues twice, in 1929 and in 1931. And while we hail, and rightfully so, the power of Josh Gibson, Turkey Stearns, y'all, won the Negro Leagues home run title seven times. Yes, you heard me right. Seven-time Negro League home run champion a lifetime batting average of 349 in a career that was absolutely amazing. And yet he has never really gotten the recognition that he so very well deserves. I think you can make a legitimate case that Turkey Stearns is indeed the greatest baseball player that the city of Detroit has ever seen. And that's no disrespect to Ty Cobb. It is just how good Turkey Stearns was. And oh, it would have been so special if he had had the opportunity to compete in what was then the white major leagues so that more folks would have gotten an understanding of just how good the gobbler was. I remember hearing Buck O'Neill talk about Turkey when Turkey was with the Monarchs. And uh, Turkey, like most great hitters, always had his bat in his hand. And Turkey had flied out to end a, a game. The ball got to the warning track and the outfield made to play at the warning track. And Buck says, after the game, he goes up to Turkey's room and Turkey's sitting on the bed and he has two of his bats. One was a little bit heavier bat, and Turkey is talking to the bat. He said, now, if I had used you, I might have hit that ball out the ballpark, and we would have won the game. Yeah, that was the mindset of the great Norman Turkey Stearns, man. He could flat out rake. He could go get it with the best of them. Satchel Page believed that he was one of, if not the Negro League's most feared hitter. The legendary cool Papa Bell would go on to say that if Turkey Stearns is not in the Hall of Fame, then no one deserves to be in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. That is high praise for a ball player that, again, a lot of folks just simply have not heard. But again, as my late mother would say, you don't know what you don't know. And that's why it's so important that we have a place like the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum 
so that you can know and that we can continue to shine light on those players, the magnitude of Turkey Stearns. Turkey Stearns hit over 400 three times in his career. He led the Negro Leagues in triples six times, which is the most of all time. Not even Cool Papa Bell holds that mark. And Turkey Stearns did it in a relatively unsung manner. There was nothing boisterous about the gobbler. Quiet, unassuming, but one tenacious ball player. Oh, he wanted to beat you. He wanted to beat you. And even as we embark on this effort to try and bring Major League Baseball, an expansion team, to Nashville, and of course the team would be called the Nashville Stars after the old Negro Leagues team, you can rest assured that Norman Turkey Stern's presence when we're successful in this endeavor, because Turkey Stearns grew up in Nashville and was a part of that amateur circuit that was there in Nashville, semi-pro circuit in Nashville. And so you can rest assured that many Nashvillians hold him in as high a regard as those in Detroit do. And still there are so many in Detroit that are learning about Turkey Stearns. But I can tell you this. When it comes to complete ball players, when we talk about the five tool stars of baseball, you can't have that list if Norman Turkey Stearns is not on it. When we come back, we'll continue to tell the story of Norman Turkey Stearns with someone who knew him extremely well, his daughter, Rosalind Stearns Brown. Arthur Educator will share her insights about the man that the fans called Turkey, but she called him Dad. Help continue the legacy of Hall of Famer Buck O'Neill by visiting thanksamillionbuck.com. With one million donations of just a single buck or more, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum can move closer to completion of the Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center on the historic site of the Paseo YMCA, where the Negro Leagues were born in 1920. We'll teach not only the stories of Negro Leagues baseball, but also math and science through the lens of baseball history in the spirit of baseball's greatest ambassador, Buck O'Neill. Log on to thanksamillionbuck.com and donate today. Every buck counts. Well, I am so very pleased to have joining me on Black Diamonds the daughter of one of the greatest baseball players that you likely have not heard his name, but you should. And we are talking about the gobbler, the legendary Norman Turkey Stearns. And with me is his daughter, Rosalind Stern Brown. Rosalind, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining me on Black Diamonds to talk about the greatness of your father, the legendary Turkey Stearns, one of the great nicknames in baseball history, but also one of the greatest baseball players this game has ever seen. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Now, what are your earliest recollections of learning just how great a ball player your father was? 
When did that kind of come to light for you? That didn't come to light until uh, just before Dad uh, got inducted into the Hall of Fame because there was a, a, a mobile unit going around uh, the country at, that was introducing the New ball ballplayers and they were recognizing Dad as they were using him as the catalyst for that. And because of that mobile exhibit and because uh, Richard Bach wrote a book about mm -hmm. dad. Well, it's not really about dad, but it's got his statistics in it because one of the chapters is all about dad and with his statistics. And there were some people, people started getting interested in trying to find us. And we had all kinds of journalists and sports writers contacting us and coming to the house and wanting to talk about dad. And that's when we wrote, because we didn't, you know, they didn't talk about that when dad was younger. And we knew he was a ball player and they played in Negro Leagues, but he wasn't getting, you know, we didn't see the popularity that we're seeing now. Yeah. So, and then after the book and the mobile exhibit, then people started contacting us about dad. And then we were like, oh, wow. <laughs> one of the regrets that I have is that Satchel Paige used to come to the house when he was traveling with the Common Globe Trotters and he and dad would sit on the porch and they would talk about and we didn't realize they were talking about history you know that we thought they were just shooting the breeze and I even said that in my book I said I thought these were just two guys sitting on the porch shooting the breeze you know and I said and come to find out that we should have been recording all of it. <laughs> Because we were listening to history and we didn't even know. Now, now you're, you're probably right, though, in, in your interpretation that they were two guys sitting on the porch shooting the breeze. Because, mm -hmm. they, you know, they were great friends. They were great ball players. Mm -hmm. They were probably reminiscing about the things that they used to do. But do you ever have those pinch-me moments? Because what you just said, Satchel oh. Page is at your house right. and, and sitting on your porch and how special that really is. Mm-hmm. And if we had known then, I would have recorded that. You know? <laughs> we would have had some actual recordings of Dad and Satchel Page, you know. You know, and, and I never got the opportunity to meet your father, but I know exactly what you mean because I recall one time here at the museum and we were honoring the late, great, someone you knew very well too, the late, great Ted Double Duty Radcliffe. Oh, yeah, that was my uncle. Uh-huh, who had just turned 100. And he and Buck O'Neill were sitting in a little conference room here at the museum. Mm -hmm. And we had a big platter of barbecue. And we're all, <laughs> we're all sitting there eating ribs. And Duty and Buck are trading story after story after mm -hmm. story. And no one had a tape recorder going. And it was still a special memory, but man, I wish we could have documented those conversations because they were simply amazing. And you've been a part of that. Mm -hmm. How special for you is it now, understanding probably even more so now, just how great the Negro Leagues were, the playing ground that it provided for folks like your dad and the legends that are a part of your life. How special is that for you? Well, I always get teary-eyed like I'm getting now when I talk about them because it's, it's sad to me that we're, they weren't recognized earlier. 
know, before all of them passed, because these were truly great guys, which is one reason why I wrote the book about that, because everybody knows about his statistics, but they don't know how great he was as a man, as you know, in life. Yeah. And so that's what my book is trying to do to let you let you see the other side of that. Not only was he a great baseball player, but he was a great guy. He was all around man. He's he exemplified manhood because yeah. dad, you know, did he did things that other men should be doing and are not doing now. And he led by example because he believed in education. He supported his families. And I'm and the with the niggerly ball players I have come in contact with, I noticed that they all had some of these same characteristics because they went through some horrible things. I mean, they went through World War One, World War Two, the Depression. You know, the pan they had a pandemic. Too. Exactly. Exactly. And in addition to all of that, they had to deal with discrimination. You know, and I mean, and, and in spite of all of that, they managed to excel in their field. And they and always say they did it because they had the love for the game. And they truly did. I mean, that's why I wrote this book. So you can see how great they were as men, not only just baseball players, but as great men, too, because they were family men. They supported their families. My sister and I, we're who we are today because of, of the support that we got from dad. The book is called Fans Call Him Turkey. Mm-hmm. I Call Him Dad. Yeah. I have the story of the legendary Norman Turkey Stearns written by his daughter, Rosalind Stearns Brown. Now, where did the voice come from? Because I know both you and your sister can, y'all don't sing, y'all sing. Y'all can (laughs) sing. Where did the voice come from? Did that come from daddy or did it come from mama? From dad. And that's something else people didn't know about dad. Dad had a nice crooning voice and he would just sing around the house, you know, because he wasn't a public person. So he would sing around the house with us. And my mother likes to say that, well, when people ask us, where do we get our music from? She said, well, they got their singing from their dad, but they got their brains from me. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't want to be left out. (laughs) But she was probably right. And, and so I've I've been at the, the Tiger Salute to the Negro Leagues when you guys have sang the national anthem. And can you take me to what that moment is like when you're standing on the field there mm-hmm. and you understand that your father and the other legends of the Negro Leagues are being honored. The Tigers are putting on the old Detroit Stars uniform and You've got your jersey on and you guys are standing there to sing the national anthem. What is that moment like for both of you? And I I know you can't just just talk for your sister, but I'm sure she has some great feelings about that as well. Oh, yeah, it's it's an awesome feeling. It's it's a feeling that you can't put into words because here we are standing here and in front of thousands of people. And dad is not only being recognized, but they're they're seeing the results of what he did for us. And we're continuing that. And I get like I am now, I get a little teary eyed every time I do it because I'm thinking, dang, I wish dad had been here to see all of this because I could just see a smile on his face now. 
And I know he's smiling from us wherever he is now because it, this is it's a great moment. Every time we do this, it's a great moment. And I get that same feeling. I'm really overwhelmed at how this has progressed for us and our family. And I just say, I wish dad was here. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I share that same sentiment every single day. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited that Negro Leagues Baseball is finally getting the recognition that it should. The players who call the Negro Leagues home are getting the long overdue recognition that they should have gotten years ago. Yeah, it's way overdue. It, it is. And of course, Buck O'Neill's book was called I Was Right on Time. Because mm-hmm. I think when you talk to them and what you've shared to this point already, seems to be so true to the spirit of all the players. They really didn't talk a lot about themselves. No, now, the didn't. other people would, the other players, because I've always believed that great athletes recognize and appreciate great athletes. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really have to talk, but their peers did the talking. Right. And I know we don't have, you know, many Negro League players still with us now. But what is some of the things in your travels and hanging out with some of these players later on, what are some of the things that they would say about your father, the baseball player? Well, like now, Ron Teasley uh, says, he says that he's never saw anybody any greater than my dad. And if my dad had been allowed to play in the major leagues, he probably would have been the greatest baseball player of all time. And we hear all the time, like from Double Duty, Double Duty is my uncle. And Double Duty said it before he got into the Hall of Fame. He said, if anybody should be in the Hall of Fame, he said, include Major League Baseball. He said, it should be your dad. And Satchel Page said that he never worried about anybody hitting him but my dad. <laughs> he said, cause, and he said he had to, he said he knew he was gonna hit the ball, but he said he had to give him something that he couldn't hit too far. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard another story about his dad and Satchel Page. They said dad uh was on the opposite team and Satchel Page was the pitcher, and dad had come to bat three times and he had gotten three hits off of him. And he said, so the fourth time dad came to bat, he said, see if you can hit this. And he rolled the ball to the plate. <laughs> <laughs> and as great as Turkey was, he probably hit that too. Yeah, he probably did. <laughs> and I love those kind of stories. And you know, we thought all of this was just stories, but they were telling the truth. They actually yeah. did these things. And they said they really had fun. They, all the guys were characters. They really were. And that's yeah. why they had so many nicknames. And, and, and the Negro Leagues had some of the greatest nicknames of oh, all yeah. time. Of yeah, all time. Like, Matter of fact, if you didn't have a good nickname, you probably couldn't play. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably <laughs> couldn't play. And, and, and Turkey and Buck, Buck O'Neill always called him the Gobbler. Yeah, he always called him the Gobbler. That you know, that's one of the great nicknames in baseball history, bar none. Oh yeah, we hear that all the time too. When they talk about turkeys, they say the greatest turkey, and then they dad. <laughs> at first, we didn't kind of like that because I didn't want people to think that he got the name turkey because he is a turkey. You know? <laughs> I said, nah. I said he got the name because of the way he runs. But now we appreciate what they're saying about that. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, because it's all said with great admiration mm-hmm. 
uh, mm-hmm. for for your father. Detroit, Detroit has had a tremendous rebound. It is, you know, it's one of the great cities, one of the great U.S. cities, mm-hmm. and, and like a lot of cities, particularly. In the 90s, when things started, early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, things started to change a little bit down, but it is bouncing back again. Your father was hit by the Great Depression, Mm -hmm. like others of that era. What did being in Detroit mean to him? Dad was, uh, he always loved Detroit. And my mom did, too. That's why they traveled from the South and they came here to take advantage of the opportunities that were being afforded here. And that's how dad ended up working at Ford Motor Company. Well, it wasn't Ford then. It was Briggs. But and of course, he worked for Briggs and Briggs was very prejudiced because he was the one said no jigs with Briggs, you know. So and I put that in my book, too, because that that's a that was a shame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, and Dad worked in one of the worst places at, at Ford. He worked in the, when he started, he didn't. But later on in life, he ended up in the foundry. And that was one of the worst places. But still, uh, again, that shows uh, he had a spirit of perseverance because in spite of the hardship in that foundry, he still managed to do what he needed to do. And he and, he, and his main concern was taking care of the family the best way that he could. Yeah. And that's what he did. So yeah. they love Detroit. And my mother, one of their favorite spots, my mother's favorite place was Belle Isle. And that is, that's a wonderful park. And she and dad knew that whenever he couldn't find my mom, that's probably where she was at Belle Isle. And that's what they were. And they loved going there. Yeah. And the story about Belle Isle when dad, uh, they used to go there all the time. And dad had, they had come off of Belle Isle one day and the, and the police pulled dad over. And they thought my mother was a white woman because mm-hmm. you know, she was very fair skinned and she had the hair and stuff. And when they pulled over, they thought this was a black man with a white woman. And it was. And then after they started talking, then they realized my mother wasn't. So they couldn't give my mother good reason why they pulled him over. So they told him to turn on his lights. Now, this was in the daytime. <laughs> told him to turn on his lights. And he turned on his lights. And when the police came back, my mother said, why are you giving him a ticket? And they said because he had dim lights. Now, how do you have dim lights in? And you know, you don't have dim. Your lights going to be dim. Dim in the daytime. You know, so <laughs> he didn't have any other a good reason for pulling them over. So he came up with something. But mm-hmm. they loved Detroit because we. And then when we moved from the east side of Detroit over to uh, the west side of Detroit, we were on a block called Carter Street, and that ended up being a very good experience because. We had a sense of family. Everybody on that block knew everybody. Everybody looked out for each other. And, you know, you hear stories about how bad Detroit is, and that's one of the worst cities. No, it's not. Because we had, and I can attest to that, because my experiences here in Detroit, yes, there are some criminal things going on. But But what city doesn't have it? Right, Every it's not as bad as they said it is, because we grew up in Detroit, and we didn't experience any, any of that. Yeah, And we had had one of our blocks, so it's a unique block because, and we still are in contact with each other now with the people that were on that block. And we call ourselves family because we did. We all grew up together. We all stuck together and we need to go back. And that's why in my book, I cover where old school is the best school because we had traditions that we kept, you know, the kids had to be 
in, you had to be on the porch before the street lights came on and all that kind of thing. Then everybody looked out for each other. So there was a very good sense of community there. Yeah. And you knew you couldn't act up. The kids did what they were supposed to do because you knew if the parents, if other parents said anything to your parents, you were going to be in double trouble because not <laughs> only were you in trouble with them, but when you got home, you had to deal with the fact that you embarrassed your parents. You know? <laughs> and they did not play. And we need to get back oh, to that because the world yeah. is a much better place right now if we would go back to the, some of those old traditions. Yeah, no, I, I I didn't grow up in a city the size of Detroit. I grew up in one in rural Georgia called Crawfordville, Georgia. Roslyn, there was only 500 people in the town, oh. maybe 1,500 in the city limit. Oh, my but, goodness. But, it, but, you know, everyone had jurisdiction over you. So mm-hmm. you really weren't going to get in any trouble oh, for the no, exact same no. reason that you just said. Because you were, more if, afraid of, you were more afraid of your parents and your neighbors than you, you were. Oh, absolutely. Anybody, you know? Oh, absolutely. If I walked by Mrs. Jones' house and she was on the porch mm-hmm. and I didn't speak to Miss Jones, mm-hmm. oh, my mother knew it before I even got home. Mm-hmm. And she was going to yeah. say, well, why didn't you speak to Miss Jones? You know, so. Yeah. And they would be know, standing I, there waiting on you. Like, oh, okay. absolutely. That, that sense of community was, was really, really important. And, and I'm just so excited with, of all the things that are happening there in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Now, have you been following the Hamtramck Stadium renovation? Oh, yeah. Uh, Gary Gillette is the CEO for that. The Friends of Historic Hamtramck Stadium. And he's a good friend of ours now. We met him when they came uh, to Detroit for the Jerry Malloy conference here. Mm-hmm. And they were sponsoring Dad, and they wanted us to come and talk about Dad and our experiences with him. And then uh, they found out that the, uh, Hamtramck didn't know that they had an icon in their city, and they were getting ready to demolish that stadium. And Gary told them, oh, no, and his group, they said, you can't do that because that's one of the five stadiums left in the country where the Negro Leagues play the baseball, so you can't demolish it. So they said, okay, well, if you you know renovate it, we'll keep it there. And so they did. And when Gary says something, trust me, his guys, they're, they're wonderful. If they're, they say they're going to do something, they do it. And they did. They got it done. They renovated the grandstand because the grandstand was in terrible shape. They had big holes and, you know, you could fall through and get hurt. And they renovated that. And now they've renovated the uh, entire baseball field. The field is good. And they still have some uh, renovations that they want to do, mm-hmm. but that's going to take some more money. But they got that done first. They did the field first, and then they get, did the grandstand. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place now. And they said once they get everything done, they're going to put up a statue dedicated to Dad. Oh, that's wonderful. They already named the field after Dad. So it's, it's uh, Turkey Stearns Field at Hamtramck Stadium. It's going to be a beautiful place. Well, you know, just this coming week, uh, on Friday of this week, as we're recording this, they will have a ribbon cutting in Patterson, New Jersey, for the restoration of old Hinchcliffe Stadium, one of the last remaining stadiums that the Negro Leagues call home. And, and Rosalind, I remember going to Patterson just as they were preparing to designate it as a National Historic Landmark so that they couldn't tear down the remains of it as the folks in Patterson were trying to get some legs underneath them to try and restore 
that old ballpark. And I remember just standing on the blacktop infield. It had been blacktop. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it gave me chills. It absolutely gave me chills because you realize that you're standing on the very grounds that players like Larry Doby, Monty Irvin, mm-hmm. your father, mm-hmm. Josh Gibson, all these legendary stars had played right where I was standing. Yeah. Do you feel something like that when you go over to visit Hamtramck? Yep, I feel like when I'm standing out there on the field, especially in center field, I feel like dad is with me because it's just <laughs> awesome. And we did, they played a game one they had, uh, when they first renovated the field, uh, they, they had a ceremony. And my uh, niece, Vanessa, she was playing on the Detroit team and she had never played ball before, but they had, you know, people playing. Uh, Detroit had a team and Jack White had a team. And of course, his team was a little professional team, so they whooped our socks, but that was okay. <laughs> and Vanessa said the same thing. She said while she was out there, she said she felt like she could feel uh, her granddaddy's presence because she never really met dad because she was born, you know, in the 90s and dad died in, in the 70s. And her book is about how she having a conversation with dad or these are the things that she would have talked about if she had met him, you know. So so now we have two books in the family (laughs) about dad, which is a good thing because we're trying to, you know, make reach as many people as we can and to carry on this legacy about the Negro League ballplayers, especially dad. But uh, she said, yeah, she felt like she felt something too when she was out there in center. Yeah, it kind of consumed you, yeah, you know, to be standing there and, and to realize that, wow, all these legends. And just you know, think what would have happened if they had torn it down. I mean, I said, exactly. oh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Sometimes we are so ignorant about just little simple things like that, you know. Well, in, in, in our society, we don't seem to cherish those landmarks like other countries do. Mm-hmm. And we're very fortunate here in Kansas City. The building that the Negro Leagues were formed in, the Paseo YMCA, is right around the corner from where the museum currently operates. Mm-hmm. And that building was erected in 1914. It was completed in 1914. Six years later, Rube Foster leads these independent black baseball team owners into that very building, and they met and formed the Negro National League. Of course, the Detroit Stars were one of those original eight teams that organized and was a part of the Negro National League, a team that your father would call home for many, many years. Yes. He played on, on a number yes. of other teams, but really Detroit was home for him uh, as a ball player. And I'm thrilled that we're saving this building because that building was on the verge of collapsing yeah. when we took ownership of it. And we've started to restore it. It is very close to being completed. And of course, just last week, we announced our plans, a week before last, we announced our plans to build a brand new Negro Leagues Baseball Museum that will be attached to this historic landmark, the Paseo YMCA, thus creating what will, in essence, be a 70-plus thousand square foot, I call it a Negro Leagues campus, you are an educator. You're also an educator and an author. Mm-hmm. And this idea that we can elevate the awareness and interest of the Negro Leagues, but also teach the life lessons 
of the Negro Leagues and help more young people identify with people like your dad, the Buck O'Neills of the world, the Satchel Pages, the Cool Papa Bells, the Ted Double Duty Radcliffe's of the world. That aspect of, number one, saving these landmarks, and number two, the education that comes along with their stories of triumph over adversity. Mm-hmm. And Double Duty should be in the Hall of Fame, too. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He, really he gets should. my vote. How many, how many people <laughs> do you know can, can catch and pitch? You know, that was amazing. But these guys were amazing. And, you know, and it's sad that other countries do better with their history than, than the United States. We're supposed to be a world-class organization and we're supposed to be one of the top countries in the world that everybody looks up to. So we've got to do a better job with our history. Yeah, no, we're, we're excited about saving that old historic landmark. And every time I walk into that building, you know, to, again, to realize that Tini Blount, who obviously plays a great role in your dad's story and these other independent black baseball team owners met in that very building and they walked out of there saying, we're going to create a league of our own. Matter of fact, they walked out having created a A league league of their own own. and the resilience and the determination and the courage that it took to take that leap of faith. It took a lot of courage. It took a lot of courage. Yeah, no, it took a lot of courage and the players who were part of this league were courageous in their own way. Yes. I find it interesting that your dad worked for a company owned by Briggs, the man that had the ballpark and the Detroit Tigers. Mm -hmm. Now, here's one of the greatest baseball players. You might make a case that he was the greatest baseball player that the city of Detroit has ever seen. He is working for the man who owns the Detroit Tigers, but he can't play for the Detroit Tigers. And he, and if it had been up to him, he never would have played on any Detroit team as far as he was concerned because he, he was very prejudiced, very prejudiced. Yeah, yeah. It's almost ironic that the greatest baseball player in Detroit, and I know people will, and it's arguable, and so that's the beauty of baseball. I, I, I know that people will say, well, what about Ty Cobb? Well, what about Turkey Stearns? Oh, thank was, you. Yeah, what well, about Turkey? You know, <laughs> there was an article written about uh, Ty Cobb and Dad, and in in the article, they compared Dad with Ty Cobb, and they showed the statistics of my dad, and showed the statistics of Ty Cobb, and then at the end of the article, they said, "Well, this guy's in the Hall of Fame." Talking about Ty Cobb, and they said, "And this guy isn't." And then the question was, "Why?" And you knew the obvious answer was was because he was, uh, you know, they, he was being discriminated against because his stats were much better than than Ty Cobb's. So. Yeah. So when he finally is inducted mm-hmm. into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, mm-hmm. what was that moment like for you and your family? It, it was awesome. Like I said, all of this stuff that's happening to Dad is uh, beyond words. You don't. We, we don't really have any. I, I can't. I can't really put it into words. I can just say it was an awesome feeling, and I get teary eyed again because just <laughs> just thinking about it, you know, because I'm standing here with a uh, celebrating a man that should have been celebrated 
many years ago before he passed. And I say, well, I, and, I, and the only thing, the only consolation I have with that is that I said, it's better late than never. Yes. Some people never get what's due to them. And these guys are, it's overdue, but at least now it's being done. And so that's my consolation when I go somewhere and I think about it. Then I have to put a smile on my face because I said, yeah, now they're being recognized and it's so well deserved. And that was a great, that was an awesome moment. Did he have any resentment about not being able to play in the major leagues? You know, and that's the other thing that I cover in my book, too, because people ask all the time, weren't these guys bitter about that? Didn't they hate not being? I said, no. I said, if the interest hadn't developed to help get him in the Hall of Fame, we never would have known any of this was going on. You know, I said, because you knew in history books what was happening during those ages, but you, they didn't talk about it that much. They didn't care about that. They knew what they had to do. And they did it and they got it done. And that's the attitude that we have. So uh, most people say you have to think positive to get positive things done. And that's what they did. They concentrated on the positive, not the negatives. Because if they had, they probably wouldn't be where they are now. No, they they would have certainly succumbed to the hardships of those times. And it has always been my theory. And having met so many of the players, I don't think baseball was really a concern for them playing in the major leagues because number one, they had their league and they knew exactly how good this league that they played in was. And they knew how good the players were in this league. And honestly, Rosalind, the major leaguers knew how good they were because they competed with and against each other. The major leaguers knew because the commissioner at the time stopped them from, stopped the major league teams from barnstorming against them because they were showing them up. (laughs) You know, they were running. Because my dad said when they played the major league ball players, they would play positions that they had never played before. And he said, and they still couldn't, the major leaguers still couldn't beat them. So I said, but you couldn't tell him that, could you? He said, oh, no, we would have got lynched. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and so there was this level of self-assuredness that these men and women who called the Negro Leagues home carried with them from a skill set standpoint. They knew they could play this game. Oh, yeah. And and the thing that Buck O'Neill would oftentimes say, people would ask him the same thing. Well, uh, you know, I I know you're you're sad that you didn't get a chance to play in the major leagues. And and Buck said, no, 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 don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for the people who didn't see me play. They're the ones who missed out. And And if they didn't get to see Turkey play, they missed out. Now, I'm going to ask you one final question. And I want you to I want you to answer this question truthfully okay. to the best of your ability. Is Norman Turkey Stern Detroit's greatest baseball player? Not only is he Detroit's greatest baseball player, he's the world's best <laughs> baseball player. Mark my words on that. <laughs> She is the author of a wonderful book that is called The Fans Called Him Turkey and I Called Him Dad, the story of the gobbler, the legendary Norman Turkey Stearns, Miss Rosalind 
Stearns Brown continued success with everything that you're working on. I can't wait to get to Hamtramck to see the ballpark, step out on Turkey Stearns Field, and certainly looking forward to a statue being erected of him there because it is so well-deserved. Oh, yes, it is. And hope to see you there. Oh, they have the uh, Jerry Malloy Conference here, too, in July. And we're going to do Nigger League Baseball Weekend that same weekend. So that's going to be a fun weekend. Well, I will absolutely look at my calendar, and I hope that my crazy schedule will allow me to be there to uh, join and celebrate with you guys. Uh, Thank you again for your time, for the wonderful stories that you shared about your dad, the legendary Turkey Stern. Thank you, and make sure you get my book so you can see all the stories. I'm going to get the book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Black Diamonds is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network and is hosted by me, Bob Kendrick, with additional voiceovers provided by Donnie Samuels. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. SiriusXM Podcasts.